This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Annie. And I'm Hope. Our essential question this week is, what are some of the unique challenges facing LGBTQI youth in our community and how can we support them? Okay, so the world is a safer place for LGBTQI youth than it was even 10 years ago, right? So the military's Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy was eliminated in 2011. Barack Obama became the first sitting president to vocalize support for gay marriage in 2012, which paved the way for legalization of gay marriage nationwide after the Supreme Court decision Obergefell versus Hodges, one of my favorite Supreme Court cases. Um, Some amazingly talented and brave people have promoted transgender visibility in film and television. Shout out to the fabulous Laverne Cox who is amazing. Uh, Washington State just added X as an option on birth certificates, making it possible for non-binary folks to adequately describe themselves in legal documents. However, we still have a long way to go. According to Lambda Legal, an LGBT legal advocacy group, nearly one-third of the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue's judicial nominees have records that demonstrate hostility towards the rights of LGBT people. If they are confirmed, they would likely rule against LGBT protections. LGBT bullying is a real life, real and serious problem in our schools and communities, even in progressive cities. In many places, LGBT couples fight for the right to adopt their children. To scratch the surface of these very important issues, we're joined by Lisa Keating, founder hey. of My Purple Umbrella. Thank you for joining us, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're so excited to have you here. So excited. <laughs> I'm a big groupie. <laughs> big, interchangeable white ladies groupie. Awesome. Hey, welcome. Welcome. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what the heck My Purple Umbrella is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, I like to first brag that I'm a Tacoma native, yes. born awesome. and bred, never left. Um, well, schools, what schools did you go to? Well, let's see. I, That's the proof. I started at DeLong. Oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then moved over to Skyline, mm-hmm. okay. which was quite a bit of a culture shock. Mm-hmm. And then um, progressed from Skyline to Truman and then am a Wilson grad. Hey. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Go Rams. Go Rams. <laughs> All day. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't follow sports very much. <laughs> awesome. Um, so um, My Purple Umbrella is um, a nonprofit that I started um, in, well, about two- 2011 is when mm-hmm. I started just researching. And um, I kept looking around saying, you know, we really need to do something. Somebody really needs to do something. Mm-hmm. And so, well, um, I stopped asking that question and yeah. decided to do something. Yeah. Um, And so I started um, as a community outreach um, on Facebook because, one, it was free. And so Mm -hmm. I started a Facebook page. um, That was all we had in the beginning. And then I just used to spend an enormous amount of time looking up um, stories and resources and Mm -hmm. statistics and um, information for um, gender diverse youth and their families, and the, it would take me days sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, like Annie mentioned earlier, in ten years, like things have changed so rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in the last two years, it just is an evolving um, yeah. movement. Yeah. And so, um, the purpose of my purple umbrella is to advocate um, for gender diverse youth and their families. Um, and we. The family piece is very important because um, uh, LGBTQ plus youth are at the highest risks of violence and um, drug addiction and homelessness and um, sex trafficking. And so Mm -hmm. without a solid family foundation, Mm -hmm. um, no young human can evolve into a thriving Mm -hmm. adult human. So Mm -hmm. the family component, whatever that family shape and dynamic looks like mm-hmm. is critical to their um, well-being. Yeah. And so um, for the most part, um, the history of the organization is we started with playgroups mm-hmm. um, in large part because that served what our family needed because okay. um, our child, we have a now 13-year-old um, trans daughter, mm-hmm. um, and she came out as trans, it's been over three years ago. Okay. And um, prior to that, um, would uh, had considered identified as gender non-binary yeah. mm-hmm. and gender fluid, although mm-hmm. some of those words didn't exist back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
it was she um, felt really very much like she was in both genders mm. camps and really tried to live life in her early elementary school years um, identifying that way and found that in school it was almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So what were some of the do you mind talking about like some of the ways that she navigated that or like was experiencing Yeah. I mean it seems like a lot, especially early in like elementary school, it's very yeah. gendered. Like what did she what was the what was her path through that? Well, I think um I have kind of a unique perspective, I think, around elementary school students. I'm not really hardlined about um my my view on elementary school, young elementary school students, is mm-hmm. they're one trying to figure out yeah. a world that is very complicated yep. mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't reflect often their own family dynamic yep. yeah. and their community that they came from. And so I feel like public school is kind of like this social experiment mm-hmm. yeah. gone awry yeah. <laughs> often yeah, um, places, because yeah. you have yeah. all these little universes and these little humans that yeah. you throw into a classroom yeah. and a school and say, OK, you you must achieve academically and then you got to get along and be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what does that mean when yeah. so and then their social emotional development and their communication skills are so mm, underdeveloped and super raw yeah. um, that so I don't know it's just complicated so because well, they're learning all that I mean that's part of going to school right body like the language first time intonation that, yeah. la- like just language itself yeah. and like using language that they hear at home yeah. that they think is right. okay yeah. and then they use it at school if and I know it's not <laughs> or, or it has a totally different context right, right? right like yeah. I, it's hard as a grown up to communicate with <laughs> yeah, other grown ups yeah, so, so I have a huge amount of empathy and compassion yeah. for little little humans trying to figure it out all out Um, and then the teachers that are guiding them yeah Um, so some of the some of the major obstacles that our daughter faced um, had to do with um, harassment mostly it was really individual instances of what would technically be considered harassment yeah because it's it there were one or two instances of bullying but I'm going to be super clear my understanding um, or my definition is there's harassment intimidation and bullying. Mm-hmm. Hib. And, yep. Right? Yeah. We, and, know, we know about Hib. And well, and I got to serve on Tacoma Public Schools Hib Committee yeah. back. Which was kind of newish in the last yeah. few years. Well, it started, well, I think they started in 2011. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I joined er, in early 2012. Yeah. yeah. And it was at the time that the Anderson mm-hmm. Murray Law yeah. was passed in Washington State. Can you and talk a little bit about that for people who don't know? Yeah. So the Anders, Anderson Murray Law, I hope I just said that law correctly. I say it so often that yeah. it just rolls Chance out. That to you. It sounds law yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, it was a state law to protecting gender identity and sexual orientation um, in Washington State. And um, props to Tacoma, the city of Tacoma had actually passed an ordinance um, modeling that law that had been enacted five years earlier than Mm. when um, the Anderson Murray law passed, Mm -hmm. which I believe was 2011. Okay. Mm -hmm. I say these things so confidently, but sometimes I need to I believe Yeah, you. we can double check and put yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, so no Tacoma um, Public Schools was the first district in the state. Mm. Yeah. Again, I'm, I say that confidently. Pretty sure that's true. Yeah. Um, to actually align their HIB policy yeah. Yeah. Uh, or uh, create their uh, a HIB policy to align with the Anderson Murray yeah. law. Great. Um, and I believe that that was actually a, um, a proposal from former um, school board member Kim Golding. Cool. Um, that was something that she had mm. championed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, TPS, um, led by Jen Cabista um, and Bernadette Ray, yeah. had um, brought, they'd asked, invited me to come mm. on as a parent and a community advocate. And so we, it was a pretty amazing committee in terms of trying to address mm-hmm. harassment, intimidation, and bullying. And um, so what I walked away from that experience with is, there are, there are a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. in middle school and high school yeah. to address mm-hmm. these things. And most often it's crisis management. Yep. Mm-hmm. There was and, – and again, this was like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. There was nothing of substance to do any preventative work um, mm-hmm. for elementary school students. Mm-hmm. And my position is that schools are one of the biggest partners mm-hmm. for families because yeah. that's where our kids spend – most right, of their life right. yeah, or a huge part of their life. And so to me, building partnerships and alliances within the school district and our school's 
communities themselves are essential mm-hmm. to, again, one of those essential components to thriving kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I had the ability and the privilege to volunteer mm-hmm. um, pretty intensely um, early on. And um, we also had a lot of fears as a parent, uh, as parents sending our kid to public school. Right. Yeah. Um, it was pretty terrifying. Were you afraid before, like at the very beginning, when thinking about sending your kid to public school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What were some of the things you were concerned about? Well, I think like most, um, I would say like a lot of parents, yeah. the fears are compared to your own experiences. Got it. Okay. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I grew up, um, you know, I'm a you know kid of the 70s and 80s. And so, you know, the AIDS epidemic yeah. was massively impactful in my understanding of the world um, as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I knew people that were... Um, that identified within the queer spectrum, but there was no, we didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. There was no, or they would just disappear Mm -hmm. or they, you know, like there was just, you know, I mean, for, for goodness sakes, George Michaels wasn't even out at that point, right? Like we all kind of knew, but, um, so like, so comparing to having to fight, um, for just the existence to say, hey, this yeah. is who I am, yeah. mm-hmm. was really s- s- terrifying to think to put my child in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we were looking at schools, um, um, uh, Geiger Montessori mm-hmm. had ju- was just going to mm-hmm. be starting. And my research on Montessori was was just the philosophy mm-hmm. in and of itself lends to this, uh, this narrative that we take care of each other. Yeah. We take care of this place. Right. Right. Like we take care of ourselves like Mm -hmm. this is really how we learn how to treat each other with dignity and respect. And it was a learning model that I felt my husband and I felt that our child had the best opportunity to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As long as we also stayed involved. Yeah. As best we could. Well, and that's part of it. Right. So sometimes parents pick the best school and then they're doing other things because the school is taking on the responsibility where it's really a partnership, right? We, yeah. Schools can't raise your kid. Right. And we all need each other. We need yeah. each other to make it happen. Oh, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so one of the things after I left the HIB committee or it kind of, it you know, served its purpose, yeah. um, I think it really just kind of stopped because it met the need that um, it was serving. So okay. I just kept going back into this elementary school thinking, mm-hmm. okay, well, what are we doing? And Kelso's Choice was the only thing that was being used and, you know, as cute of a green frog as Kelso is. Yeah, yeah talk about what Kelso's Choice is because I don't know if all our listeners know. So Kelso's Choice, and, and <laughs> I'm not I'm not an expert at this, Kelso's Choice, from my understanding, is a program teaching kids basically kind of real basic, like, this is how you're nice to each other. Yeah. And this yeah. is how, you know, this is how you're supposed to treat each other, but not, like, nice is such a nuanced <laughs> Word. Be what nice. does nice Smile mean? Shut up. What right. if you came to school hungry that yeah. day? What if you have experienced trauma? Right. What if you're just cranky for yeah. whatever reason? Right. Yeah. What does nice mean? Like there's a there. Well, so there and then was, kids also pick up on that when adults are being nice, but they're being fake. Mm-hmm. Right. It's because they're very perceptive. So like, Absolutely. does nice mean genuine, or does nice mean you are fake so that you can pretend to be smiley and happy? And are you being respectful right and being nice like i don't know i kind of yeah. you know i've had yeah. people smile and nod at me and i'm like ah. yeah <laughs> fake as the kids say <laughs> fake. super that. fake so the kelso's a frog kelso's yeah. a frog and um my understanding i don't i i don't want to speak on behalf of what if it's if the um curriculum is being used i'm not yeah. actually yeah. certain about that i i know yeah. i just know some of the schools that thing, i partner yeah. with that they you know they're they've moved beyond that yeah. but there was really little yeah. option so it's right. not like you know you have to use with what you have yeah. yeah um and so i just um out of that like i really just i i made a decision to um try to i i served on geiger's scdm mm-hmm. um site Decision-making? No, it's SC, so school. God, this is so bad. We're both educators, and all three of us are in education. We don't know what it means. I... I just say SCDM. It's it's yeah. basically it's what the it's the committee inside the building that handles all the like big initiatives and stuff that for the school and yeah. like the yeah. decision making. The decision making. Yeah. It's supposed to be teachers yeah. and admin and it's, and and it's, yes. a, it's like a collaborative and parents, committee. And, yep. and some schools have stronger ones than others yeah. that are more successful than others. Yeah. And, and we, have a, we have a great one at Lincoln. So yeah. I've I served on Geiger's for four oh. years and then I'm actually in my second year at Bryant oh, Montessori too. Oh, cool. So okay. I've yeah. really learned a significant amount yeah. around you how you learn a lot of the ins and outs. Oh my gosh, creating a school schedule 
like blows my mind. Yeah, the fight for copy paper. Stipends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, stipends. We can spend months on stipends. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So I had had the ability to really um kind of observe and learn Mm -hmm. from these different um. Uh, decision-making bodies yeah. that directly reflect or directly affect schools. And there was just nothing of mm-hmm. substance um, happening in an elementary school setting. So I had proposed this project, this mm-hmm. art project, with the idea of teaching character qualities cool. and leadership skills. And so one of the components of um, of my Purple Umbrella is we have this school program. We have a whole school program and an after-school program that we're now in our fifth year of the after-school or the mm-hmm. whole school piece. And four years in the after-school piece, which actually was um, initiated by a student out of the whole school program, which was pretty amazing. That's great. Um, And so we started, um, so the whole school program is this idea that, you know, helping students identify what character qualities um, create an ally Mm -hmm. and create a leader and how can they actually um, take action. Um, And who can you be an ally to? Can you be Mm -hmm. an ally to yourself, Hmm. Um, others? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you can you dislike someone and yet still be respectful? Mm -hmm. We have that conversation a lot. We (laughs) practice reading body language and facial cues, um, which are things that, you know, I I still make assumptions when I'm like Mm -hmm. going or see somebody driving and they have a face that I think is aimed at me. That almost never has anything. But no one, I had to become an adult and do yeah. lots yeah. of therapy and lots of different train, <laughs> like, you know, leadership training to learn yeah. that. So my, yeah. my theory is that if, if youth can learn this mm-hmm. in an elementary school setting, yeah. then they can grow and evolve and practice yeah. these I- I- ideas and philosophies. And then by the time they reach middle school and high school, then they have better established con- conflict revo- yeah. revolution resolution skills, yeah. better. Um, they can make healthier relationship decisions. It's going to decrease their risk factors. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a program that is specifically aimed at LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus youth. It is really about a community-based program. Oh, interesting. That's great. Because we are all... yeah. We all have our own issues and own differences and own ways that we've been othered. Mm -hmm. And really, it's not about wanting to isolate or separate a group of youth. And in elementary school, let me tell you, they don't want to talk about gender. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, how does that I mean, how does that play with kids? Like, yeah, and the development of all of that. What does that look Mm -hmm. like? Um, so you're saying they don't really want to sit around and talk about that in a no. circle? They're like, play drums. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, whatever. I mean, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's for for that age youth, um, they, they, they notice other kids who don't um, really align within mm. the gender binary, mm-hmm. right? This real yeah. rigid, super feminine mm-hmm. or super masculine or a little in between. You can kind go in between yeah not necessarily if you're a boy in elementary school as you get older it becomes more um gender expression for um a male identified person gets a little more um fluid yeah but not it is hardline and hyper hyper masculine when you're a little kid i have a baby at home who's a boy and a lot of things for boys are very 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 Mm -hmm. very gendered um and there are places where you can get clothes for boy for infants like things that are like um little stud like on their shirt yeah, is blue and like <laughs> everything's blue right and target's yeah. better like target has some stuff that's less gendered but yeah it's like from the time they're very small it's it's very it's really strict because like, like in middle school and high school what we see more like i see a lot of uh, male identified boys saying um like wearing you know pink shoes and backpacks and mm-hmm. some of those is that kind of what you're thinking yeah. about in terms of just acceptance and Right. And also, I think, you know, adolescence is just designed to um, push back, right, and resist the world around them. Like, their brains are developed to do that. That is how we have evolution. Absolutely. Right? Like, without them, we would just be stagnant as uh, as a race. So, adolescents serve a very specific and intentional purpose in our Mm -hmm. societies. And so once they reach that point, then it's okay to push back. It's okay to wear all black. Mm -hmm. It's okay to paint your fingernails. It's okay. Right. There are things that you do that that to form who you are that is done from a place of resistance, right? And just staking claim. Whereas prior, you know, 12, Mm -hmm. 13, 12 and under, it's really trying to figure out where do I fit here? Because this is like an alien land. And school is that. Yeah. Really, that kind of 
I don't know. It, it's yeah. just this, this modge podge of all kinds of hmm. different backgrounds, belief systems, um, identities, and, yeah. and ways of thinking. And there's a lot of beauty to that. And then yeah. there's a lot of confusion yeah. when yeah. you're a young human trying to go figure out yeah. what what are the right. rules. Because there are a lot of rules. Yeah, there are a lot of rules. I had a question. So many unspoken ones. Yeah, too. seriously. In terms of, like, um, labels or, like, thinking about your identity as you get to be an adolescent, like, I know that um, uh, the acronyms for LGBT, there are so many. Like, and I'm in the LGBT community, so I, like, I've experienced the range of, like, I mean, you know what I'm talking about the mm -hmm. the LGBTQIPS2SA, right? The yep. the yep. super long ones, right? Yes. That include everyone. Um, they're super inclusive, but they're super long and hard to say and hard to remember. Um, so <laughs> and still exclude some. They do, and they're well, still exclusive. The the more and you so, label, yeah. it's better. But then at the same, I right. feel like it's better because we're yeah. you know you get a better understanding and like awareness. But then you also leave. Yeah. Some, you're always going to leave somebody out. So right. how do you? Well, then I was wondering, like, for our listeners, and then for like maybe also for myself. Yeah. Um, like what what do you what terminology do you prefer because I know that like more recently I've seen a lot of steam behind um, GSM gender and sexual minorities or um, oh, yeah. the one I actually really like mm -hmm. that I um, because I like to say it because it sounds fun is Mogai. Have you heard of Mogai? No. This one's really good. Um, marginalized like orientations. <laughs> it does. It sounds Sorry. like something you would put in like biscuits, like Cheddar Bay biscuits. <laughs> Can hand me the Mogai. Marginalized yeah. <laughs> orientations, gender alignments and intersex. Um, that's new to me. And it's I'm good, so right? Happy. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, marginalized orientations, gender alignments, and intersex. Dang. I always forget the alignments part, but yeah. it's, it's very descriptive. So, like, what do you, when you're thinking about this work, like, do you does it depend on the audience? Do you like because for obviously for younger kids, it's like yeah. you know, or for like even talking to other adults who maybe are not thinking about it the same way you are. Like, what what terminology do you prefer? Do you use regularly, or just for folks out there listening? Yeah, my terminology has evolved, mm -hmm. um, and I had this really amazing conversation with um, Professor Amy Riken at University of Puget Sound, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, maybe, I don't know, four years ago or so, and we were talking about the evolution of language, and when you're talking about a movement. Mm -hmm. And so th to answer your question specifically, mm -hmm. I I use LGBTQ+. plus. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the for me it's around normalizing, okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like having a baseline and mm -hmm. then normalizing that language, and mm -hmm. then also acknowledging, mm -hmm. no matter who my audience is, but acknowledging that that is not a full um, representation. Yeah. And so this conversation I had with Professor Riken was around what um, what she said was that it's similar if we look back and think about the civil rights mm -hmm. movement mm -hmm. the language that was used at the time when it began mm -hmm. to how over the decades we talk about mm -hmm. civil rights and equity and mm -hmm. equality is very different yeah. mm -hmm. and the terms that were used say in the 50s and the 60s mm -hmm. like is not like that's not acceptable language particularly for those of us sitting around these microphones <laughs> yeah, right? right we're not yeah. as the, yeah. as the, you know interchangeable white ladies <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of language that is no right. longer acceptable for us to use. Yeah. And so I think um, the thing that I often ask people to do is be patient hmm. and mm -hmm. um, empathetic mm -hmm. with the language and the descriptions because mm -hmm. the people are just really starting to gain visibility. Yeah. Right. The non-binary mm -hmm. um, uh, demographic is really fighting mm -hmm. for um, visibility. Mm -hmm. Like having the gender marker X is a you know a major mm -hmm. step forward. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it is not for me to determine mm -hmm. what the language is. It yeah. is as an advocate and an educator. It is my job to honor the language and also help move the one normalize it, mm -hmm. and then two also allow people to understand that this is an evolution. Yeah. yeah, that there is not an end point to right. it. So we're not going to arrive at a term that we no, all agree, and then yeah. it's over. And I even remember when on. I was in college that like queer was being it was like yeah, in the process of being that. reclaimed yeah. as a powerful word, and that was like when I was growing when we were growing up, it was like if you called someone queer, that was really hurtful. Yeah. And like so, seeing it go from a hurtful word to being a reclaimed word is really like that's really interesting too. Which was led by yeah. youth. Yeah, right. yeah. Right? I my love kid, young people. No, they're right? so cool. My, I mean, you know, my daughter is like loud and queer and proud. Like yeah. queer is a, is like. Like a badge of honor. Yeah. And because also, you know, it doesn't 
it doesn't put her into one category. Mm -hmm. It really is this more of an expansive term, the Mm -hmm. way that she um, takes ownership of it, Mm -hmm. so that she's like, you can't just say I am in these two boxes. I am more than just this. Mm -hmm. And it is also a way to um, kind of, you know, not push back really yeah. mm-hmm. and say, I'm here and you're not going to deny my existence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm amazing. Yeah. And so that the queer youth that, you know, and I, so I often refer to, depending on my audience, I, I, I use queer youth all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how they identify. If I'm with an audience of um, older um, LGBTQ um, people, then I am not, I'm going to acknowledge that queer can be a harmful yeah. term. Yeah. Right. Generationally, like as we talk about this evolution, mm-hmm. you know, people prior to say, you know, I don't know, even 2012, 2013, yeah. like it's new. Yeah. Like this reclaiming of queer is a new thing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who f- have been fighting for um, gay rights and, yeah. you know, fought yeah. during the um, AIDS epidemic that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Stonewall, like queer mm-hmm was awful. Yeah. And it was meant to harm and degrade. It has a lot of baggage. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think my relationship to that word happened with my lit classes in college because I was an English major and so we studied queer literature. Yeah. And like that that yeah. was like and that's part of like queer criticism, you know, like in some the same way feminist criticism and all these other places. Yeah. And so it's interesting to think about how that word well, has to see changed. Well, like how it came means. out of like academia as yeah. like a um, term to describe like this large group of folks, like yeah. LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus folks. And now it's kind of like, yeah, to think and of in, it. Yeah, in the lit yeah. context, it didn't. It didn't seem like it had, and maybe I just wasn't aware of it. But it didn't seem like it had a negative or positive no, meaning. It it's just like a neutral, was, It just existed, right? It's a neutral term. Yeah, but like that's not how it was in those other spaces that you're describing. It's mm-hmm. yeah. interesting. Very interesting. So, how does that work with then working with little kids, and what does that mean for kids who join your program? What's the parent community? Pushback, acceptance. I'm curious about some of those. Do you have things. some cool parents? That are I have on some board? pretty amazing. I am going to give a huge shout out to the Geiger community um, on a personal level and try not to cry over this. <laughs> Honestly, okay. um, we got tissue here. Somewhere. Like, yeah, somewhere. they, um, that Sweet. community, <laughs> you know, the, it, it, uh, my daughter's not there anymore, yeah. but I'm still very mm. involved in the school and, you know, lead these programs that are very much part of the culture and climate. Mm-hmm. And my my intention was to um, create a safer, more inclusive environment mm-hmm. so that all students yeah. could thrive yeah. and find their place. Um, and so the Geiger community, honestly, I mean, there's lots of people that have you know moved on or moved out of state that are no longer part, but they're still part of that core network for me that they embraced me. Mm-hmm. They embraced our child. They embraced our family. Mm-hmm. And not only embraced us, they celebrated us mm-hmm. yeah. and stood shoulder to shoulder with us. Um, so pushback, I honestly don't hear much about it. Um, and my my theory is that, you know, if people have things to say about me and I don't hear it and it's behind my back, then it's not real. Yeah. Hey. yeah. And I'm not going to. Yeah. I, I mean, if I worried about what people said behind, you know, not to me directly. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I would get nothing done and then probably yeah. be in the fetal position. Yeah. So um, the Geiger community has been extraordinary and um, really wonderful. And the kids in terms of the programming. Um, this year for the first time, we did badges in the fall. So when our after school group started, uh, I ended last year with 24 students mm-hmm. and the after school group is second to fifth graders. Okay. Um, cause I believe you don't, there's no age requirement for leadership. Okay. And so, um, we, and then I had 31 in the fall. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. So it's a lot of mayhem yeah. after school for almost 90 <laughs> minutes. It's kind of chaotic. Uh. Thirty and kids at once. So if um, if people <laughs> want to volunteer, are you looking for volunteers? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Hey, um, everybody, go volunteer. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing. So it's a art centered um, leadership anti bullying program, awesome. which were a lot of words all at once. I get, but um, <laughs> that sounds like the best kind of so, anti bullying program. If there's art. So what we've done is, um, so this year, as an example, to, mm-hmm. like, inclusion, like, we all did badges. We all created badges. And we, you know, the students put their names, their teacher, um, because I can't track all of their teachers, and um, and then their, um, their pronouns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I do have three. I've had three students that use they, them, theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is evidence 
for me to go out into the community and say, um, in elementary school, children mm-hmm. understand who their what their identity yeah. is. Yeah. And so that is one of the ways. But it's not it's not. I have some students that identify um, within um, the LGBT piece mm-hmm. as well. And so it's not something we focus on. It's something that is a part of our culture and our climate mm-hmm. as a group. Mm-hmm. And we have I have some students who have same sex parents. Mm-hmm. So it's not odd for them mm-hmm. to also know classmates or peers that mm-hmm. also would identify, yeah. you know, the way that their parents identify. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, it is it is not really about focusing on that. It is it's it's their understanding that it is a safe place where they will be honored and celebrated. And, um, you know, I have some of my after school kids that will sometimes question the they then theirs pronouns yeah. mm-hmm. and they'll go, oh, well, because, you know, they're like third and fourth grade. And um, little eye know, roll. Little oh, eye totally, roll. <laughs> totally. And the then third grade eye roll. That's yeah. the worst. Or if they misgender, <laughs> like yeah, if exactly. if you know if one of my students misgenders one of mm-hmm. you know their peers, then I just call them out and say, you know, actually their pronouns are they then theirs. Oh, and I was like, did you want to have a conversation about that right now? Mm-hmm. No, thank you, Miss Keating. <laughs> like, right? They just like right. I'm like, so what is our role here? Is our role to actually approve of how other people identify? <laughs> That's so no. Good. I'm like, great. Yeah, Did you want to keep talking about it? No. no. <laughs> back, to this gluing, back to this yeah. gluing that we got going on here. That's awesome. Right. That's really cool. That's so good. So what's your vision for um, your organization? What yeah, what's, you what's happening? Gonna, and what's next? What's yeah. 2018 look like? Uh, yeah, what's, how well, is 2018 going to be for schools? Technically, um, yeah, I will be starting in Bryant. Okay. Um, maybe I'm, we're finalizing dates, but I'll be doing Bryant, which is really, really exciting for me because they are pre-K through eighth grade, mm-hmm. um, and so nice. I get to. Um, I'm working with the middle school team to really adapt Great. this program, the whole school program, to what fits their needs best. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and it's a small middle school, so I think that we there's just a huge amount of mm-hmm. opportunity, and I'm I'm just really looking forward to that. Um, and then um, with the intent of starting the after school group there as well. Nice. And um, so for 2018, I'm actually right now in the um, Washington Teaching Artist Training Lab. So it's um, that sounds really cool. Yeah. So it's a partnership. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. Um, it's a program that you have to apply and be accepted yeah. into. And so by the end of it, I'll complete it in March. I will be a certified teaching artist, and it's in wow. partnership with OSPI um, and Arts Washington and the Seattle Children's Theater. So I get to hang out with what? some really amazing people. Did you have so an arts cool. background before? Yeah, I was gonna like, ask. Do you have did degrees you... in art or something? Yeah. Or is it just something you no, care a lot about? Or like kind of just crafty? Yeah. Honestly, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Honestly, my background, my professional grown-up background, was yeah. I ran a massage therapy business and, okay. and I never knew that about you. That's an art and, and nutritional what? totally. Yeah, it um, is. I was good at that job. Yeah. Wait, how'd you go from massage therapy work <laughs> to nonprofit? Yeah, what? that's not like an e- uh, transition that makes not sense. exactly <laughs> it's weird. Um, was it the birth of your child that changed? Well, that, or was so it? It, she, um, so our daughter was probably about five when mm. I really five and six when I okay. started talking about it, and then yeah. uh, you know she was almost seven when I took action. Yeah, and um, no, that wasn't. Um, I so, it's kind of a funny thing. What I find is most parents like myself mm-hmm. who. Um, have kids that are trans and are non-binary. We have, in the last five, six, ten, seven years, have become the accidental um, advocates and experts. Yeah. Not that we are experts at this, because we are not. Most of us trans identified ourselves mm-hmm. or non-binary mm. for the the larger percentage of families that I'm affiliated with. Yeah. However, we're the ones raising these kids, and we're the ones that have to fight and educate yep. pediatricians. Yeah. Uh, if you go to urgent care, if you enroll your child in any program, yeah. if you go through TSA, mm-hmm. if you want them to go to a summer camp, yeah. if you um, just want to go clothing shopping, yeah. if you, so we end up being you're um, an expert on your child, and you are navigating all those systems, and that is where that's where you build that expertise and like understanding empathy for other people and their children and yeah you are an expert you have like yeah it's just acquired expertise yeah oh man the advocacy you probably piece. wish you didn't have to acquire in the way that it's yeah had to be had yeah and i mean it, i don't i don't know like it's a yeah. very it i wouldn't i would not do anything other than what i'm doing right now yeah um, it sounds like you're really good at it so thank you <laughs> <laughs> um i 
I feel like I really empathize with parents that have kids with special needs Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's a parallel in that, um, which, by the way, we have a lot of there are a lot of trans um, youth that Mm -hmm. are also on the autistic spectrum, which is a very fascinating phenomenon that, you know, I know Mm -hmm. that there's research being done about that. Um, My theory is that they're, you know, within the autistic spectrum, they're Mm -hmm. not limited to this binary system mm. that has been created by society mm. because they wouldn't either notice it or yeah. recognize yeah. right they wouldn't recognize it oh, or they're not they're not um reflecting back like social um norms or cues yeah. and so exactly. they, they don't feel beholden to those totally norms. yeah uh, it's fascinating That's and so amazing. i we yeah. there's a lot a lot of um parent advocates that i know we're really mm. looking forward to research that uh, you know kind of explore this a little bit more yeah. um but so um gosh i totally forgot what i was going to say um oh so with special needs families like mm-hmm. you end up having to fight to validate mm-hmm. who your child is and why and what is in their best interest yeah. which becomes challenging and the added um fun if you will for a parent like myself is then you get to fight politicians who decide Mm -hmm. and organizations that decide that your child is either an abomination or does not get to exist because of some arbitrary rules that I didn't design yeah um and so you know we're really fighting a social system Mm -hmm. That one in first and foremost to keep our children alive. Mm-hmm. I talk about death and youth a lot mm-hmm. as an advocate, um, which can be very um, can suck your hope mm-hmm. out of your soul. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, so I don't know. It's really so my my journey into this was really through and because of our our child. And then really it was this, you know, I was going through leadership training at the time where, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the question was always asked, um, see a need and fill it. Mm, And so I felt this level of responsibility and my husband, you know, we're a white hetero couple Mm -hmm. that, you know, Mm -hmm. or were middle-class whenever it did exist, I don't know, 15 (laughs) years ago. (laughs) Um, but, you know, we, we had this ability and this privilege to be able to stand up and be an out family. And so I, you know, really my husband, yeah. the um, introvert at home, really didn't like he's like, do we have to do it this way? Yeah. Like, are you yeah. sure? Do you have to do this? And I just didn't see another way around it yeah. and felt like I needed to fight as hard as possible mm-hmm. in the in the younger years of my daughter mm-hmm. um, in her existence. So that once she gets to those super high risk years, that mm-hmm. there will be a foundation yeah. and roots planted that she will be able to navigate that without yeah. the most detrimental effects. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got into nonprofit it's like your, work. It's like your heart's that's work. Amazing. Like it just called to you. Hope. You know when you, you fly out of SeaTac, right? That's like yeah, your main airport. Time. And you go to that stupid thing off International Boulevard where it's like kind of a freeway and then it turns you in a weird circle and you can go to the cell phone lot or you can go to the Ugh. very poorly labeled airport. <laughs> and sometimes you turn on the wrong way and you end up in that corkscrew parking garage. <laughs> That's awful. The worst. And then you're late for your flight. Yep. Ah. Uh, it's like home alone. You're like running through the airport. Like, yeah. how do I get there? And once I run through and I run through that tunnel, yeah. guess what my first thing is that I see? Like through the like that weird hallway yes. where the counters are? What? What I see. Alaska Airlines. Oh, that's so nice. What a relief. Because, you know, you'll get through all that, that hellacious traffic parking nightmare. And it's like the clouds part. And the sun comes out. And everybody's so nice. Yep. They're so accommodating. They want you to go. They're have a great so flight. helpful. I've never had a bad experience at that counter. Yeah. And like the kiosks are so easy to use, and everybody's so friendly and help. They have somebody right there to help you if you if you Wonderful. don't know how to use a computer. And you know, once you get through TSA, even if you even if TSA is stressful in the in your heart, you know you're gonna be you're gonna have a great trip mm-hmm. because sure. Alaska took care of you because of Alaska. Yeah. So book your next flight at AlaskaAir.com. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. So I'm wondering um, for like our listeners, just for people in general, um, thinking about some of the challenges, like you kind of touched on a few of them, like some of the challenges that that people who don't have to deal with this or who aren't thinking about it don't realize are part of like daily life. What are those unique challenges that are facing LGBT youth? And no, I I get (laughs) that's a that's a much better way to say. (laughs) Thank you, Annie. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Um, 
So one of the things that I think is important that I like to share with families or share with community members is that um, families like mine, there's mm-hmm. a practice um, of keeping a safe folder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that is is basically documentation of every time you've seen or de- seen a medical professional or a mental health professional and or school t- mm-hmm. to keep a file of documents to legitimize the existence of your mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who feel it is their duty to call CPS and report parents like myself for abuse. I'm just going to ring the shame bell because I want to say other words that I'm not going to say on the microphone right now. That's to cover up all the swearing Hope just did. (laughs) Well, mine was all inside. Oh, my god! I held it in. Um, Yeah. It is. And this is happening nationally. Um, I have seen... Um, safe folders from some friends of mine, parent friends of mine that mm. are five and six inches deep. Wow. Um, so if a per if a parent, for example, um, if their child uses Medicare or Medicaid, um, then they have to fight so hard to get medical treatment for their child. Mm. Um, so like any kind of treatment. Um, well, trans care, yeah. trans medical Which is care. different. Mm-hmm. It is different. Yeah, even, yeah. It is different. And a shout out, though, to the um, the clinic at Marybridge. Um, what's it called? Mm-hmm. What's the clinic at Marybridge called? It's the trans youth. It's just trans yeah. youth trans, clinic. It's, it's they trans have youth a, clinic. Endocrinology. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's right. amazing. Yeah, like yeah. I, I've had, I mean, my understanding of it, the reason I didn't know the name is that I've heard about it from students saying, like, mm. I get healthcare here and it's incredible and it's, like, really amazing. And Mary when, did so they, great. And when did they start that? I think it's within the last, like, five to seven years. It's pretty, fairly recent. About five years. Yeah. But they were also ahead of Seattle yeah. Children's mm-hmm. Hospital. I just want to... Yeah. Oh, that's pop. interesting. Yeah. So, uh, here, and and so, and yes, mm-hmm. the trans, uh, the endoclinic, endocrinology clinic at um, Mary Bridge is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We we are our family goes there or mm-hmm. uses the clinic and i also advocate with the clinic dr mm-hmm. barbara thompson has been running yeah. the clinic for i think five mm-hmm. five years now yeah. might be four i think it's five um as and is just exceptional and yeah. the staff there the social worker the the nursing staff like mm-hmm. they are just incredible people yeah. um and so the funny thing about the medical community is that they don't really communicate outside of their silo yeah. And so even within even within MultiCare mm-hmm. and Mary Bridge, they didn't know many other departments didn't even know that clinic existed. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel so bad for being ignorant. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> no. Most people don't know that it's a thing. Yeah. It's and like, so like yeah. it's kind of like I'm so grateful that you brought that up because yeah. it's kind of one of my soapboxes mm-hmm. where I'm like, hey, you don't have to go to Seattle to get yeah. excellent trans youth care. That's amazing. You just it's right here in it's Tacoma. Yeah. That's yeah. great. So and I know that Group Health has some mm-hmm. very competent, fantastic okay. um uh, physicians and staff mm-hmm. also that treat um, trans youth as well. So, mm-hmm. so you have to walk around with this folder anytime you want any kind of medical care or you're meeting people for the first time in terms well, of that kind of stuff. Or? Often this, no, um, I don't have one of these because we live in a really privileged place. Yeah, um, T- Tacoma has been mm-hmm. honestly been fighting on behalf of um, gender identity for and sexual um, identity for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So we're in a bubble. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at least I am personally. And also we don't have the added um, the added p- layer of being part of a religious community mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. to fight against. Mm-hmm. So and that is its own really difficult struggle. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want to circle back to that if yeah. there's time. Yeah. But so the folder, because I don't want to lose track on the folder. So the, the safe folder is really for when CPS shows up at your door. Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot. I read stories every week about families who have had to say, okay, so the social worker came and said, we know this is ridiculous. We really, you know, support your family. And because a, a, you know, a um, Who's reporting? Sometimes relatives. Like, I know. Sometimes neighbors. Sometimes mandated reporters and all that stuff with schools. But I just feel like schools are a little. I mean, I know that there's people still in the dark or whatnot, but. But, like, why are. Why do we call CPS? Like, you and me. Why do we call CPS? We call CPS if kids are, like, have physical, like, shown, like, physical signs of abuse or neglect. Like, that's not what CPS is for. Like, CPS is not for. To (laughs) me, like, that's my. That's my. That's my feeling about it. So some, so you think it's families and neighborhoods? Are those the yep. ones that are mostly calling on? So maybe mm-hmm. not like schools or whatever that have 
I would hope better training, but maybe I, not better training. No, I'm not going to. Okay, never mind. Depends it's on where you live. Man, that yeah. is, yeah, it really depends on your demographic. It's like, what the heck are they thinking is different? Okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, so then. I'm not going to be able to help you put this together and make it sen- make sense <laughs> at all. That's not, I'm just sharing, like, that's one of the pieces, yeah. right? So we live in fear. Yeah. Um, and there is um, a youth that um, I recently wrote um, a letter to, a blog piece, pretty emotional one, who was highly celebrated, loved, and um, had just been awarded, graduated eighth grade, was awarded like this major award for from their community, mm-hmm. not just the school, but like this kid yeah. was um, really thriving and successful as far as everyone understood. Um, and within a week of um, graduating, uh, they... snuck out of their house late at night where their family slept and um, committed suicide by laying down on train tracks. And they were 14. And later on, as um, those of us that were offering support and love for the family um, found out that they had received that day, they'd received the second denial letter from their insurance company for trans medical care. Mm. So it's it's this thing, this piece of we never know where our kids are going to have to where we're going to have to fight Mm -hmm. for things that people take Mm -hmm. just for granted. Right. Mm -hmm. Why would you have to think about Mm -hmm. if if you had diabetes, Mm -hmm. you would not have to prove why diabetes needed to be a treatable Mm -hmm. like why you needed care. And so or I have another friend who um, is has an active school board member that is actively in the community trying to um, um, has successfully removed all protections for their child to use the bathroom that they um, for this person's child to use the bathroom that they um, identify with. And so Mm -hmm. like there are people that are very strategically and intensely trying to erase the existence of trans and trans people particularly and I would also include non-binary people in that Mm -hmm. um, I read your blog post about um, the threat of being an out teacher and you mentioned things about like the systemic like there's harassment intimidation and bullying on a on a um, personal level and then there's there are politicians adult people in the community leaders in the community Mm. um, who and not thankfully not our community like I love our Mm. bubble well, I'm, I'm not going to like, I mean, like, they're not. We just got done fighting two bathroom initiatives yeah. there's that's, some that's, in this state. Yeah. And, and there were some right. very big. At, um, and I'm not like, I'm not saying that, yeah. like, it's our bubble's perfect. Right. Like, that's not like I, I would never, like, venture to even I'm say gonna that. I'm going to pop your like, bubble with this panel. Pop my here, bubble. Pop, pop the bubble. Um, um, and so I'm not like, excuse my, like, sorry, that's not what I meant. So, but like having read that piece and like understanding that. Um, the kind of things we're up against are not just harassment from individual, like student to student harassment. Like we're talking about like adults harassing children. Well, it's yeah, right? it's a like, systemic piece, right? Because like, the if you're talking about a person in like a, on a school board specifically targeting a single student, which by the way is not in Tacoma, right? yeah, not no. even in the future. This is Thanks in a clarifying. whole yeah. different part it's of the outside our bubble. Hey. That <laughs> is totally outside. Yeah. So I want to be very clear yeah. that this is no one here, no school board here. Yeah. This is a school. Though, so this happens in other parts of the country, yeah. right? And, and not happens, but is happening in other right. parts of the country. Currently. So, yeah. so depending on your listeners, I don't want to assume that everybody's right. here, you know, listening yeah. in this area. So I wanted to right. give a context. Yeah. Well, and like I, you know, it's you know, I don't. We can't presume that every person like in our community is like are good advocates, right? Like that's not you know our bubble's nice, but like you know pop the bubble. Well, know? we always need to be better. So we do uh, always need to be better and like be less basic, right? Yeah. And so like when I think about, but I think about if that school board member is specifically targeting one or even two students, that is like that's harassing. Like mm-hmm. that's not that's that's more than just like a systemic. It's a systemic problem, and it's also an adult. Um, who has a lot more power than that student using their power to intimidate them. Yeah, we were just in New Mexico and there was this was a similar conversation about a, a school down there where, yeah, the principal, like the parent was advocating for their kid and there was, you know, an extra layer of like an adoption and something, you know, involved. And they had set up the bathroom as a safe place in like the staff office. Mm-hmm. And the principal of that school just found a way to like slowly take it away and like make up excuses. And eventually, um, and oh, there was a, it was like the, the principal also like outed the kid in front of everybody mm-hmm. um, and made a big old thing about it, you know, mm-hmm. that that's why this kid's using this bathroom and da-da-da-da-da, as if, like, that was needed or necessary. 
And so finally the parents just found another school because mm-hmm. it was so difficult and it's so horrible. Right. And yeah. you think about other kids in that school that are afraid to come out or, you know, would need they to see move what too, happens right? to right? their peers. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you think about what happened in the te- Texas legislature mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. like the lieutenant governor, <clears throat> like yeah. making it a personal mission to um, to remove any possible protections for trans youth. Yeah. It was a personal mission. Yeah. And I had dozens of friends that f- mm-hmm. and families that advocated and testified and fought. And yeah. I'm, I mean, it was such a huge effort. And in the end, they lost. Yeah. And several of those friends of mine have moved out of state. Yeah. They left. So that's the other part, too, when we think about... You know, the, people can live in such a hostile environment mm-hmm. that that their best choice is to leave. Yep. But if you don't have this, the the economic means, mm-hmm. then right, like then you have to stay in that hostile, oppressive environment, right? A, a, and then never know who who is there. I mean, it's really unimaginable mm-hmm. that this is a, a a regular existence, a normalized existence mm-hmm. for. Thousands of families right. like mine yeah. and people, right? Not mm-hmm. just the families, but, you know, LGBTQ or trans and non-binary people. And it's not just trans and non-binary people, mm-hmm. right? Like we have a culture or, a, or a, um, there is a concerted effort and those in power are doing everything they can to mm-hmm. take away yeah. every um, step of equality mm-hmm. and equity and 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 visibility mm-hmm. that the LGBTQ plus community has gained and fought and died for Mm -hmm. that's our reality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i heard part of um i heard some theories about part of the reason that there's been such a push against like trans rights um and particularly the hullabaloo around bathrooms has a lot to do with um the right feeling like they've lost that they lost ground with the lgbt like or the lgb in the original like discussion and marriage equality yeah Yeah. what do you think about that do you think that's true um do you think that's part of why i believe it's true and um there is a really um incredible app uh activist bryn tanhill who wrote an article um i guess it's been maybe even two years ago now um that t- laid out this five point plan mm. s- from the um, I hope I get this right the Family Research Council and the Heritage Foundation, mm-hmm. who are both very conservative think tanks, very conservative <laughs> yeah. think tanks, and so they had a five point plan um, that they are have successfully been implementing um, after the marriage equality mm. um, decision, the Supreme Court marriage equality decision. So it is actually a Written somewhere, it is. It is um, written somewhere, and it. But it's also um, a plan, right? Because there's this this thinking of of real. Um, oh, what's the word? Righteousness, hmm. right? The and and here's what I do know. Mm-hmm. When when it comes to really conservative religious um, ideals and beliefs, structures and systems. What I'm asking people within those systems to do is to question and undo everything they think they understand about the world by acknowledging that that a trans person is real and Mm -hmm. that they deserve um, the same equality that the person within the conservative religious community is Mm in. So it's, uh, you know, for me, it was really not a difficult thing to undo what I understood about gender. Yeah. Mm hmm. I mean, there were things that I'm, yeah. you know, I still go. Oh. Yeah, you already partway there, so it was like right because the, I didn't yeah. have a construct that I had to really undo. So yeah. I really, I try very um, intentionally to consider how difficult it mm-hmm. is. For for example, say. Um, you know, some an evangelical family mm-hmm. or Southern Baptist or you know any other kind of you know Seventh Day Advent. Like mm-hmm. this is hard mm-hmm. right it goes in the face of what the world is supposed to be and more importantly like salvation yeah faith and salvation yeah. right so god designed blah 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 so as much as i <laughs> blah 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 you know okay, as a religious person i can say blah 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 there <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's the ellipses there <laughs> blah 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 dot, dot, dot. Yeah. but so yeah. you know the southern poverty uh law center has deemed um, and again, this should be fact checked, but I'm pretty positive. 
Again, fact like check. I say things fact sometimes. Check. Sorry, I'm a like, fact checker. That's like so true. <laughs> yeah. Please fact check anything I'm saying. We should saying. hire somebody to be like the fact the checker fact in the checker. corner. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yes. um, and awesome. give them the shame bell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but so um, the Family Research Council and the Heritage Foundation have been deemed um, hate groups because mm-hmm. they are financially um, and and they are intentionally and financially um, incentivized to remove mm-hmm. the rights and privileges and you know um, equity for people that do not fall into mm-hmm. their definition of who people are and what people should be mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. Um, so so there's this big kind of um, cloud of power mm-hmm. and money that families like mine were fighting back against um, and the way that I think that it's done most successfully is by changing the culture and climate in our immediate communities, hmm. mm-hmm. which is why I go back to schools. Yeah. Because schools, if you mm. can if you can raise children in an environment where they're like where they're understanding that they don't have to agree or give permission for to be respectful and offer dignity to another human being. Mm-hmm. Like that's I, I have always said since starting this journey that I am not asking people to approve. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody's permission. Mm-hmm. Right. I want I do demand, though, that my child has um, dignity and respect and equality. Mm -hmm. And until that is achieved, then I'm going to continue to push Mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Not not in the idea that I'm taking from anyone else, because that's not really true. It's not not pie. It's not pie. (laughs) It's not a zero sum game. No. So um, we don't have a lot of time left, but I would really love to hear you, your thoughts kind of on this idea of like the intersection of these issues. Mm-hmm. So specifically, I think um, LGBT, LGBT plus, LGBTQ uh, plus, LGBTQ plus. Yeah. OK, working on that myself. Um, these concerns have often been labeled as like very white or very like upper middle class, like because mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and talk about what does that mean for your work or like where you think that comes mm-hmm. from and how do we break that myth? Yeah. Well, so I would first say that um, we all have a gender identity. Mm-hmm. We all have a um, sexual identity or orientation. Mm-hmm. I hear that language evolving, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a gender expression. Like mm-hmm. every single person has that. And so that means if every single person has that, then that also, you know, um, would encompasses would encompass a person's race, mm-hmm. their religion or or non-religion. Mm-hmm. It would encompass their socio socioeconomic status. It would um, encompass their um, uh, physical abilities, their learning abilities mm-hmm. and um, cultural norms like it. it so we, if we're looking at this. um what I what I started training for myself as a white person who's talking about a white cis cisgender person talking okay. about mm-hmm. issues yep. that are not matchy matchy right yeah. right yeah. totally matchy matchy yeah. same um, <laughs> you know it is it is my duty and my responsibility to educate myself as best huh. as I can mm-hmm. so I um, have also um, gone through a lot of anti racism um, trainings mm-hmm. and um, uh, just tried to be as best informed as possible. To speak as um, an ally, not mm-hmm. as a person who has any kind of authority or mm-hmm. true um, mm-hmm. lived experience. Yeah. Um, other than raising a child who, you know, like I'm fighting for their yeah. lived experience. Well, I think there's a lot to be said, too, for when your eyes are open to one type of oppression, your it's like one eye opens to oppression, then the other eye opens to oppression. You're like, you start to see it, right? And so that's yeah. part of the journey, right? Like. I'm for like definitely for um, I know for a lot of queer folks like coming out and then mm-hmm. realizing that there's all the social justice work to be done that they maybe never never saw or were like it didn't like it, it became a reality when they when they opened that door. So mm-hmm. you open the door to social justice and it's like oh, a, it's gosh. like a flood. <laughs> yeah. I know, well, totally. and, I, and I hope I mean, I, I really hope that, too, because I think but sometimes I feel like people and maybe myself included, like we are op- aware of one issue and we're like yeah. still processing that or like overburdened by it or like there's so much to fight for in that space yeah. that we can't think of like having the capacity to fight for something else, even if there's parallels, yeah, even if right. there's the overlap. So I don't even know so how to address that. I would also say that um Trans women of color mm-hmm. are murdered at exponential rates, and it only continues to increase. Mm-hmm. Right. So, 2015 had the highest numbers of murders of mm-hmm. um, trans women of color, 
And then 2016 had even higher numbers. And last year we had even higher numbers. So that, you know, when you're taught, when you mentioned like being Mm -hmm. a white appearing movement, it's true in a lot of contexts. And I, in my experience in just the campaign, um, campaigning in Washington state Mm -hmm. and then um, uh, nationally is that when we're, Fighting bathroom bills, for example, when we were fighting the bathroom bills here or initiatives here in Washington, media companies want representation that help move the movable middle. Mm -hmm. The movable Mm -hmm. middle is almost always white. Mm -hmm. No one really says that in a campaign, but that's who they're really talking to, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you think about voter turnout, hopefully Alabama showed us how it really can be done. The busloads of black people that came in. But when you're talking about, I think that, you know, when, um, when we're, when, when campaigns are trying to win, mm-hmm. like they do it from, I think not, I think maybe default. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's intentional, mm-hmm. but they definitely do it from a first, from a white lens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's fight within that, you know, within the advocate, um, advocates and advocate activists saying, but wait a minute, where, you know, where are the people of color? Yeah. Like, we're yeah. the ones that this is impacting the most. So it's really about white people taking a step back. And yeah. the nonprofit world has a lot of white people in it. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and you know, I, I think that um, it's just one of, uh, it's just yet another layer of, like, deconstructing mm-hmm. oppression mm-hmm. and racism. And, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, as, as we move forward, um, you know, we're, I get to figure out how I contribute, how mm-hmm. I'm complicit, and what I can do differently. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's really the best I can do. And then hopefully train my, you know, the students I work with and the people that I, you know, yeah. do educational training with to also help them have that lens, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we might have to end there. Yeah. Um, you guys look so sad about it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so it. sad. So, I want to keep so going great. on this We might have to have you come back again. Day. Yeah. Would you want to come back again? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Awesome. So <laughs> let's, can we do one timeless or terrible? Because I, I want to want Lisa's well, let's hot take. Doug? Doug? Are we okay? Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. So is this timeless or terrible? Timeless or terrible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Interchangeable. White ladies. You pick it out. I'll okay. read it. Mm-hmm. Timeless or terrible? Being tan. Yeah, white ladies love to be tan they and do. talk about their tan. Like, so, Lisa, what tan, do you think about this? Oh, this is conflicting. Because you like to be. Do you like? Oh to be my tan? gosh, I love. I <laughs> yeah. love being. I, okay, I love being in the water, uh-huh. and I am really happy when I don't look pasty. Yeah, yeah. like I'm okay with that. You look healthier. I just shine. Feel, right. Yeah. I just yeah. kind of have a glow. Yeah, that I really you look like, like you spend time outside, which is like good for you. <laughs> You're like, yeah. yeah, right. Oh, look, that's vitamin D. That's actually not yeah, my tan. That's right. weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do all kinds of things to get the tan, but not to burn. Right. Yeah. I mean, like oh, how yeah. many different kinds of lotions do I put on? Oh, I can say that in the 80s, the tan for a long I time. used b- a baby oil. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Baby oil. Oil. Gosh, I can't believe I'm alive still. Baby oil. Crispy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hawaiian Tropic. Oh, yeah. 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 I think I think the actual being tan is not terrible. I think. Because that is just a condition of your physical body, like changing colors in the sun. But I think the maybe the culture of striving to be very mm. tan, the Kardashian, tan? the Kardashian yeah. tan, the and like, tan privilege, the that you tan can get. privilege, right? <laughs> like the the paying to go to a t- tanning salon and then like getting sprayed with the spray, like you know what I'm talking about? I don't yeah. know. Oh yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that's, that. maybe that's, that. maybe that's <laughs> another. I don't know. Is it another level of tan? I'm not sure. Is that terrible or? Well, I guess it depends. Okay. Okay, yeah. so if you have the there's the t- is what I feel like I'm hearing is the tanning culture. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. So that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. gonna say that's terrible. Okay. okay. However, being tan, if it's because you are outside gardening or riding your bike yeah. or swimming or just in a floaty, like whatever, yeah. that's I think yeah. kind of awesome. You're not shrugging your, your duties. It's just your melanin, you know. It's just like <laughs> right. it's just how I it can't happens. control yeah. what happens. And yeah. I kind of am a big fan because my daughter it has lots and lots of freckles, and when yeah. it's sunny out, oh my god, her and freckles they're the just pop. And they're yeah. adorbs. So freckles so. are adorable. <laughs> so I would say that tanning culture is terrible. Okay. Okay, but being tan is. Timeless. Perfect. Okay. So final segment, Annie? Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. White ladies! So in our homework segment, I want to recommend some young adult fiction books that have helped me 
um, some of them I've read already, some of them are on my list to read that help me just kind of understand um, the things we've been talking about today. And so I'll link to those up there. But Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda um, is a really great book by Becky Albertelli. Albertelli. Uh, None of the Above is about an intersex girl. And that book kind of just changed my worldview about a lot of things um, and really helped me get into thinking about things that I hadn't thought about. And then last summer I read a book, If I Was Your Girl, um, by Meredith Rousseau, which is uh, about a trans girl. And it's a really positive, hopeful book. Not that the other ones aren't, but I think sometimes mm-hmm. when we write about issues where there's a lot of um, conflict and a lot of like fight. Um, sometimes it can be like very yeah. negative feeling, and and those books are very hopeful. They give insight and they end in a positive way that you're just like, oh, yeah. okay. And it's not just like, yeah, yeah it's really good. It's so actually it's actually those. a trope in the queer community of like um, in entertainment, like the the queer tragedy, which is like yeah. every, everyone's happy till they're not, and it's like a very common <laughs> like trope in TV and movies. Yeah. So yeah, I like the ones that are actually kind of happy. Mm-hmm. That's really like nice. It. Um, there's a short book that I got actually randomly when I was in college called One Teacher in Ten because um, we're teachers. So it's all about like um, LGBTQ plus teachers experiences and um, coming out in various settings and like coming out to their students and coming out to their bosses and yeah. getting fired. And so it's really good. It's uh, it's very insightful and also being accepted, not just being fired. Um so you can get that through the library and then also go get a book called 50 Queers Who Changed the World mm. by Dan Jones. And I got it at King's Books in Tacoma. Snaps. And hey. And that's a great bookstore. And that book is fantastic. It has great art. Awesome. So I highly recommend it. Can I make a little book plug right now? Yeah, of course. This is your, what's your oh homework? I'm several homework. homework. I'm so excited right now. Our readers are, our listeners are going to be reading a lot. So um, <laughs> I'm actually through my prep and book. Per, my purple umbrella, and that's hard to say, apparently. Um, we are starting a, it's called the Queerest Book Club oh, Ever. What? And it actually, I know. That sounds so good. Year. Yeah, well, you know, the 13-year-old got to name it. Nice. So, that's awesome. Um, so we're um, uh, we're in partner partnership with King's Books. Sweet. And we start January 8th is our first, I know this will come out, this podcast will come out later. Yeah. But we're going to meet every first Monday of cool. the month. Nice. I think that's right. You'll have to look on the website. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so our first book, our first three books that we have, since you're talking about queer books, um, uh, Beautiful Music for Ugly Children um, is what we're starting with on on the January 8th. And then in February, we're reading um, George from Alex, um, I think it's pronounced Gino mm-hmm. or Gino. It's G-I-N-O, um, which is more of a young um, mm-hmm. literature. And then in March, we're going to get a little social justice on and read um, queer um Queer, a graphic novel, hmm, or oh. a graphic history, excuse me, awesome. queer, a graphic history. So nice. we'll be meeting throughout the entire, up until, up through November that at King's Books. Awesome. So for all of our listeners that have, you know, hashtag read 2018. You just you got just like got five got new books to read. Books. So, yeah. Thank you again, Lisa, for Thank joining so us. Much. We're so excited. We really appreciate here. it. We appreciate you. Longtime fan. Awesome. Longtime listener. <laughs> well, we're, we'd love to have you back. So. All right. Bye. Bye. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Subscribe to the other podcasts, Nerd Farmer, Move to Tacoma, Citizen Tacoma, and Flounder's B-Team. Bye! Class dismissed. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We We fly fly Alaska! Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.